Hello, podcast listener. I'm Sam, and this is my podcast. I'm a 40-something proud Generation Xer. I have a great wife and two awesome kids, and I even have a dog. I love them more than anything. But you know what else I love? The 80s and 90s. That's right. Michael Jackson, Speaking Spells, 90210, Trapper Keepers, The Lost Boys, Glam Metal, and He-Man. And this is what the podcast is about. It's a podcast that explores the best 21 years in American pop culture history, the 80s and 90s. Every show, we jump into a time machine to revisit the history of our youth and tell the stories behind the stories. Generation Xer, Millennial, or Boomer, there's a place for you here on my podcast. So buckle in, turn on your flex capacitor, and don't forget your Crystal Pepsi, because we're going back to the future. This is 21 Years, a podcast about the stories behind the stories you've forgotten. Hello, podcaster. Welcome to 21 Years, a podcast about the years 1980 to 2001. Here we talk about pop culture stories that you've never heard. We explore the greatest 21 years in American pop culture history and find the stories that had an effect on our youth and our future in ways you never realized. John Lennon, Jim Baker, Back to the Future, Nintendo, MTV are just some of the topics we're going to explore. Now, please remember, we're on Podbean, iTunes, and everywhere else where you can get podcasts that are available. And we're going to be doing this show a few times a month. If we get popular, we'll do it a little bit more often. But I like to have time to research some of these things. Now, you might be wondering, what's 21 years really about? Well, it's not about anything you could really find on Wikipedia, although we'll use that as references. It's not really documentaries or biographies or anything like that. It's really about events that happen in those 21 years, 1980 through 2001, and some of the things that initiated it, went on behind the scenes, and even had a, a, a cultural effect in the future. And that's really what the show's about. It's kind of exploring certain topics and stories from that time. And some of them are going to be really fun. We're going to do probably something on New Coke, and we'll probably do something on the Nintendo and Atari game era. Uh, we'll do a lot of music stuff. Um, so, you know, always continue to look and see if there's something that we're doing that you might like. But some of you might be asking, I don't understand why 1980 through 2001. Why are you doing a show like this? Well, for one, I'm a Generation Xer and I love the 80s and 90s. And the other is because throughout my time on social media, I have come across a lot of people that I believe are younger asking um, why the 80s were so great. I've seen it on YouTube comments. I've seen it in Facebook. Um, and I often respond to those. And I get a lot of likes and a lot of comments of support on my statements, comments, and replies. And so this is a show that's really kind of about that. Were the 80s and 90s really that great? Well, we'll discover that as we go through here. But the truth of the matter is that, yes, they were. And we're going to explore the differences between then and now and why there's a difference there. And a lot of it will have to do with our story tonight on uh, the year 1980 and the murder of John Lennon. Um, there's 
going to be a lot of things that we're going to get into that explore cultural effects. Um, it's really easy for me to go on Wikipedia and repeat word for word what you read. I mean, there are great podcasts out there that do that and uh, will tell you information on something um, that, you know, two, three hours long, and, and that's not what we're here to do. We're here to really explore the cultural effects on certain things that happened. And the 1980s had so much going on. And one of the, <clears throat> one of the reasons why <clears throat> I've told um, others before who've asked the question about the 80s, uh, why they were so great, um, were, you know, why they were so different, is just basically because there was so much overload. You had so much sensory overload in the 80s and 90s. The 90s, our generation became more aware in the 90s. We had the rock, the vote, and all this other stuff. We had presidential debates on MTV, and MTV is a topic we're going to explore, and it's going to be about you know what happened to it. <laughs> but in the 80s, things were a little bit more simplified. Um, we're going to see that in this story with 1980, uh, John Lennon's death, uh, and we will explore other things from 1980. This won't occupy all of 1980. We will come back to 1980. Um, but for now, it's just a really great place to start because it involves so many things that have happened uh, culturally to us and to future generations. But I think the biggest difference between the 80s and 90s and what goes on today is that really in the 80s, like I said before, we were really overloaded with sensory things. I mean, movies were coming out at, at a, a tremendous rate, um, and none of them were about anything too serious. I mean, some of them were about aliens. Some of them were about furry animals bought from a Chinese uh, shop at downtown uh, and brought home. Uh, some of them are about a group of kids that go exploring through a, a series of tunnels. Uh, one of my favorites, Lost Boys, which I mentioned in the opener, uh, you know, is about <laughs> a kid's brother who turns into a vampire and they have to kill the uh, lead vampire. It's uh, pretty simple, right? Um, and the music was really, really um, different and vibrant. Uh, we had a lot of different varieties. And at the time, we were going through um, a bit of a revolution when it came to our e evolution of music, um, where we were listening to party metal, uh, what I like to call it. And that's great stuff. And we're going to explore some of that, too. Um, the imagery and the things, the record stores and what that meant to us. Um, and what happened to record stores will be another episode. Uh, we'll, we'll go deep into why record stores kind of fell out and what their downfall was. But um, we were hit with neon colors and skateboards and bikes and BMXing became a big deal. Skateboarding was a big deal. Even surfing became a huge deal. Um, not that these things weren't popular in the past, but they really took hold culturally in the 80s. And so I think when you're growing up in the 80s, you have to, in comparison to now, realize that uh, when we were growing up at that time, we had to we had to do things like go to specialty stores. There were clothing stores that we had to go buy clothing at, and there were record stores where we had to go buy music at. And um, our grocery stores didn't sell clothing and shoes. If we wanted shoes, we went to a shoe store. Uh, and if you wanted all that in one place, you didn't go to Walmart. You went to the mall. And the mall was a great social gathering. Um, we were very socialized because uh, it was before the school year and we had to get school clothes. We had to go to clothing shops and stores. 
and buy clothing at clothing stores. And in that turn, in that way, we were in a social gathering with others uh, of our same age that were doing the same thing. So we're a very socialized generation, um, and we just saw so much technology. Uh, not that we don't see it now; we certainly do. But I think it was a lot more uh, mindless entertainment then, where we, you know, now it's kind of taken over your life and being a part of your everyday experience. In the 80s, it really just wasn't like that. Technology was entertainment. Um, our technology was highly, highly entertainment. And, um, you know, all these things come along after John Lennon's death, and we're going to explore that. But consumerism was just a really big deal. And, and really, honestly, we didn't talk about who people voted for. And, and the 80s, listen, in the 80s, people didn't talk about that. And this isn't a political show, and that's not what we're doing. But, you know, and clarification of how things were different. Um, people just didn't talk about who they voted for or what their party affiliation was. I mean, you would get a little bit of that. But overall, um, it really wasn't a big topic. Um, I mean, you know, you know, we're in the era of a little bit before, uh, you know, CNN and 24-hour news cycles. And even with that, and we'll talk about CNN too, and you know how that changed media. Uh, you know, we we didn't. I think even when CNN launched, people were like, "Who's going to watch twenty four hour news?" Uh, now it's very common. Um, I think it's a little too common, and um, so you had to kind of seek out bad news. You didn't really get it. I mean, you had to wait for the evening news <laughs> to get your bad news. And so uh, I think people just live their lives kind of between news stories instead of their lives living around news stories. And uh, it's a great difference of what we're seeing now. And I think it causes a little bit of a darkened cloud on today's society. Now, the good thing is, is that, you know, I might be in my 40s and a Generation Xer, but I'm here to tell you, you don't live in the the worst time ever. I can guarantee you. I may feel that way with coronavirus and things like that, but I promise you, you don't live in the worst time ever. You live in a really great time, and um, so did we back in the 80s. And so a lot of the differences in the two generational pools here that we see and this forgotten Generation X that we're still out here waving our hands that we're important and we often get ignored, but uh, we got our foot in both sides of the door, so to speak, um, where we really have a lot of experience with a lot of things and technology and changes. And we're also the generation that brought a lot of these changes on and have been. So what's the biggest difference between the 80s and 90s and now? Well, I think it's just that we were able to kind of bury our heads a little. And as we explore tonight's topic, we're going to see that a little bit. We're going to see how things can, and I think there's a parallel a little bit, a reverse parallel, and what we see in the death of John Lennon and how that was dealt with, and how people deal with it now, and the sandwich in between these things, and how putting your head in the sand and enjoying neon colors and going to Gadzooks and Spencers in the mall and eating at the food court and, and, and you know, um, exploring new fast foods, <laughs> um, going to your Pizza Hut. Um, kind of was a great situation for the youth of America at the time. And I think we'll see that a little bit in the story tonight as we explore John Lennon and a little bit of the Beatles. Now, as I told you guys, this is not a biography. That's what this show's about. We want to be different than what's, what else is out there. 
But we are going to have to do a little bit of a biography here as we explore 1980 and the death of John Lennon. We're going to tell a little backstory about the death of John Lennon. Uh, it won't be, you know, like I said, a thing of goes back to the beginning of John Lennon's life and all that. We're not going to do any of that because it's not relevant to the cultural changes that we're going to see uh, following his death. But to really understand the impact of John Lennon's death, which is really what this episode is, episode is really truly about. It's really about exploring why John Lennon's death mattered so much to so many people. And that's not to say that his life wasn't important, that it should have been ignored. But we have seen people in pop culture die. And it doesn't seem to have the same type of ripple effect as, say, a Kurt Cobain or a John Lennon. And these two might be very parallel. Um, so we're relatable to both of these. And we're going to do some Kurt Cobain. You know, honestly, there's so much out there that it's not a topic that I'm pushing to the to the front. But um, we will talk about, you know, alternative music and, and how that changed things in the 90s and all of that. So we're going to really dig into certain topics. Um we're going to have a lot of fun, like I said, sometimes. Sometimes we're going to get serious, and tonight it's going to be a little bit more serious because we're going to explore the effect of John Lennon's death and why it affected people the way that it did. So go with me now. We're going to dump, jump in the time machine. We're going to go back to 1980, December 8th, 1980, 10.50 p.m. And on the sidewalk in front of the beautiful Dakota in New York City, John Lennon is going to be taking his last breath. He's shot by an obsessed fan named David Mark Chapman, who waited in a dark alley and awaited John to arrive to the Dakota, where he lived with his wife, Yoko Ono. As Lennon and Ono arrived, Chapman steadied himself, hidden in a dark alleyway, and committed to his decision to change the, curse, the course of history and music forever. Yoko passed the dark shadow where Chapman stood. He stayed calm and ready and waiting. As Lennon followed behind her and passed Chapman, Chapman stepped out of the shadows and yelled, Mr. Lennon, and shot five thirty-eight caliber bullets at Lennon from 10 feet away. One bullet missed Lennon and struck a window of the Dakota building. The other four hit Lennon in the back and shoulder, puncturing his lung and his subclavicle or artery. Lennon, bleeding profusely from external wounds, and from his mouth, staggered up five steps to the security reception area where he said, I'm shot. He then fell to the floor, scattering cassette tapes that he had been carrying. Chapman then removed his coat, hat, in preparation for the arrival of police. He did this to show that he was not carrying any concealed weapons and remained standing on the West 72nd Street. The Dakota doorman came to John's aid and shouted to Chapman, Do you know what you've done? To which Chapman calmly replied, Yes, I just shot John Lennon. Officers Stephen Sapiro and Peter Cullen were the first policemen to arrive at the scene. They had immediately put Chapman in handcuffs and placed him in the back seat of their squad car. Chapman made no attempt to flee or resist arrest and a, a few minutes later after the shooting. They found Lennon Lennon laying face down on the floor of the reception area of the Dakota, blood pouring from his mouth and his clothes already soaked in the blood. 
Realizing the extent of Lennon's injuries, the policemen decided not to wait for an ambulance and immediately carried Lennon into another squad car. He was rushed to Roosevelt Hospital on West 59th Street. A few minutes later, at 11 p.m., three doctors and a nurse and two or three other medical attendants worked on Lennon for 10 to 20 minutes in an attempt to resuscitate him. As a last resort, the doctors cut open Lennon's chest and attempted a manual heart massage to try to restore circulation. But they quickly discovered that the damage to the blood vessels above and around Lennon's heart from the multiple bullet wounds was too great. Three of the four bullets that struck Lennon's back passed completely through his body and out of his chest, while the fourth lodged itself in the aorta around his heart. One of the existing bullets from the chest hit and became lodged in his upper left arm. Nearly any of them would have been fatal by themselves because each bullet had ruptured vital arteries around the heart. Lennon had been shot four times at close range with hollow point bullets and the effect on the organs, particularly his left lung and major blood vessels around his heart, were virtually destroyed upon impact. Lennon was pronounced dead on arrival at 11.15 p.m., but the time of 11.07 p.m. has been reported. Witnesses noted that the Beatles' song, All My Loving, came over the hospital sound system at the moment Lennon was pronounced dead. The death of John Lennon is terribly sad and horrific, but that's not what this podcast is about. In this episode of 21 Years, we go back to find out why his death meant so much to people. And we ask the question, how can the death of a musician that left the world's biggest band over 10 years ago send such a ripple effect through the entire world? Why did it affect them so heavily? And why did the world change so quickly after Lennon's death? The world was simply not the same again. But why? I think it's important here to understand the effect of John Lennon's death by going back a little bit. And again, this is not a biography. That's not what the show's about. But we're going to go back and find out, you know, how did an entire generation, an entire uh, group of people around the world um, actually become so attached to John Lennon that his death uh, means so much. His his death, it just triggers this outpouring of grief around the world on really an unprecedented scale. I mean, the world collectively lost themselves that, that night. I mean, this is a huge deal. There were people that were going out to bars and, and getting drunk and crying together in bars. Uh, they were taken to the streets. They were singing Beatles songs. Um, it just really affected so many people. And on December 14th in 1980, millions of people around the world responded to Yoko's request to pause for 10 minutes of silence to remember Lennon. His effect is so great that 30,000 gather in Lennon's hometown of Liverpool and 225,000 converge at Central Park. For those 10 minutes, every radio station in New York City went off the air. Lennon's death is so devastating that we also have suicides. Two that I was able to find in research was a Florida teenager and a 30-year-old man, a uh, Florida teenager and a 30-year-old man in Utah who both committed suicide and left notes that referenced the depression they felt over Lennon's death. Now, in 1980, I was five. 
And no, I don't remember John Lennon dying. But for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, I remember people talking about it. I might have been 10 when I understood the impact of the Beatles. And maybe about the time I started hearing Beatles music. Of course, I'd heard it before, but seriously hearing it. Uh, But I still didn't understand the magnitude. I didn't understand why his death was so painful to so many still. What we're going to uncover tonight is the answer to that question. To sum it up, though, I give you a little hint of too long, didn't read. The Beatles simply saved an entire generation of people. And in the middle of those Beatles was John Lennon. So what we're looking at here is we know it's the, the death has had this great effect, but we don't know why it's had this effect. Sure, the Beatles were the greatest band in the world, the biggest band in the world, but they had been out of commission for quite some time. I mean, the Beatles had not recorded anything in 10 years. Um, the breakup had happened. Um, there's a lot of speculation of why Paul McCartney basically said John Lennon was done with the Beatles, um, that it was his decision. And I believe that to be true. I believe that it was John Lennon's decision to end the Beatles. Uh, some people would blame Yoko. I don't know that that's really the truth as much as it's just, you know, <laughs> it's a long time, a lot of fame, um, a lot of commitment to something in your life that's been there for a very long time. And I think sometimes as we explore our timeline further, that musicians oftentimes um, find it very laborious to be involved in a band for so long. And um, maybe he wanted a lot of changes in his life. But let's go back to when they were a group. Uh, 1964, you know, they hit the Ed Sullivan show. They're on TV. um, And they create this craze, right? The Fab Four. And to understand why they really could, what contributed to this craze, we got to go back a year. And we have to go back to November 22nd, 1963. And if you know your history, in November 22nd, 1963, John F. Kennedy, the president's killed. He's killed on a stage where many are watching. Um, many are watching on TV and they see their president assassinated and quite frankly, in a very violent way. You have to understand, and I, and I, I beg you all, if you enjoy something like this and you think this is going to be a show, or you just like this, these kind of topics, I ask you all to ask your parents or people that were there at that time, uh, grandparents or whatnot, um, you know, and ask them, what was the feeling when John F. Kennedy died? And I've done that in my own situation with my own family and people outside of my family. You know, what was the feeling when you, when you, when John F. Kennedy was killed? What was your overall feeling? And you get a lot of feedback of depression, uh, fear, um, confusion, uncertainty, hopelessness vulnerability. It's a scary time for an entire generation. Now, put yourself in that position. 
we've been fortunate not to have that happen since that time. But put yourself in the position of a president being assassinated and the vulnerability you would feel from that and the uncertainty and the hopelessness. It's an overwhelming feeling for a large group of people from probably elementary school through college, uh, through adult life. This is a major, major event in history, and you're experiencing it at the time. Um, I can't imagine. I can hear through people's testimony, but I can't imagine what people were really, truly going through when they know that their president's been killed. So we've got an entire group of people. I mean, let's say multiple layers of generations that are feeling this fear and uncertainty and hopelessness. And they're questioning, you know, everything. This is a huge, huge event. And as they're going through this and they're in need of something different, they're in need of something greater. They're in need of something to take them away from the pain and hurt and confusion and darkness and depression And in 1964, Ed Sullivan has the Beatles on. Now, why does this matter? Why is it such a big deal? Why is Lennon a big deal here? Well, it mattered because teens found something that gave them hope. They found a distraction. They found a sound, a look. Uh, They could be young again. They invented their pop culture. Their attitudes changed. The Beatles gave teenagers rebellion against the authority with their style and their music and their sound. Now we look at the Beatles, you know, now, and we kind of, you know, think kind of laugh that, you know, wow, you know, they were cultural changers. They, they were the shock rockers of the time, but the truth is they were, they absolutely were. This is a very conservative time in America and the Beatles coming out there and their shaggy haircuts, which was a big deal. And, um, you know, music and whatnot, you know, it kind of made parents a little bit paranoid about their kids enjoying this music. And this is something that I want to pause to because I want to explore something that I think is really important and which context we're talking about, you know, today's times and people born probably after 2000 and really the rest of us and generations had Elvis, uh, you know, and Elvis came on TV and shook his hips and threw everybody for a whirl. And he was moving sexually and, you know, thrusting his hips and, you know, moving his body around. And that was very, um, <laughs> that was very discouraging for a lot of parents that saw this and saw how their teens reacted to this. And it was very much the same with the Beatles. And, and, and it's been the same for, you know, uh, our generation, which is my generation X with Ozzy Osbourne, um, in the eighties, uh, satanic panic. And we're going to explore that too. So hold your horses. I know a lot of people are looking forward to satanic panic, but, you know, we we kind of come into this era of Saint Panic. Now, you have Elvis. You might have Kiss in the '70s, and the and Kiss was probably something when they came along in the '70s. They really threw parents for a complete loop. 
Um, here were these face painted creatures that were, you know, spitting up blood and, and blowing fire. Um, you know, I, I got to imagine that Kiss was probably one of those bands that was a shock, a cultural shock for a lot of parents. Um, and then we move forward and we have, uh, like I said, the satanic panic era of, of heavy metal where we're dealing with the Ozzy Osbournes and we're dealing with all of that. Um, you know, Motley Crue and, 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 you know, uh, Wasp and all this other stuff. Um, and then we're moving towards rap being an issue in the nineties and we're seeing Marilyn Manson in the nineties becoming an issue and parents coming out and churches coming out to keep people from going to his concerts. And so I think we've had generational shock where people change musicians and artists change culture. They change the taboo. They, they, they tempt the things that we're normally not supposed to tempt. We're not supposed to uh, listen to music with, you know, satanic emblems all over it. And we're not supposed to listen to Ozzy Osbourne with his upside down crosses. And we're not supposed to listen to Kiss because they represent evil. And we're not supposed to listen to Marilyn Manson because he represents evil. And we're not supposed to listen to this, um, what people will call gangster rap, because it glorifies violence. Um, in a weird way, now some of us took things way too serious, but in a weird way, when we look back on these things, we realized that they were kind of innocent. They didn't really mean anything. These people weren't really Satanist and sacrificing goats on stage. You know, we're, we're we, now that we look back, we see that. But at the time, here's an innocent form of rebellion. It's an innocent release. Okay. And, um, you know, I know in my own home, you know, we, we, a very, very religious home. I remember having to sneak in Ozzy Osbourne records and I remember having to sneak in Motley Crue albums, um, tapes. I wasn't in the album phase. I was at the very end of it, but, uh, you know, you know, records and whatever, but CDs and tapes, um, tapes really at this time in the eighties. And so there was a rebellion through art. And you could listen to certain types of music that was kind of forbidden by society that if you got your hands on the Beastie Boys or you got your hands on, you know, uh, Two Live Crew or whatnot, it was a forbidden fruit and you had this thing. It was much like having maybe a nudie magazine hidden under your bed. Was it going to dement you? Was it going to make you uh, a bad person? Was it going to make you evil? No, of course not. Now that we look back, we all live through it and we're all decent people. Um, but I think you need culture shock. I think you need artists that basically shake the pillars of, of society and challenge rules and challenge laws and challenge conservative, conservative people and challenge liberal people. I mean, I think you need it everywhere. And the Beatles were like that in this generation. And I hate it because I look after 2000 and I really have a hard time finding that rebellious teen release that I think that we had. And, and throughout this show, we will talk about cultural differences between now and then and, and how the effects were and all that. And I just think that one of the biggest difference I, differences I see when I kind of zoom out is I don't see a lot of rebellion after 2000. I don't see a lot of innocent rebellion you know, music that made you challenge uh, the way you think and challenge the way your parents taught you and all that stuff. I think it's important to explore those things. I think it's important to 
um, rebel against authority, not take things too serious, not look at everything to be an issue. And the Beatles are very much this for this generation, okay? They very much come in and and, um, shake the pillars of authority. Um, And a lot of teenagers, elementary schoolers, and adults and college students uh, really take to the Beatles. Uh, It is an escape from what they have just gone through. They've just gone through the murder of their president. They have these horrible feelings I know inside. Um, And here comes something refreshing and new, and it changes the way that they look at stuff. And, you know, it, it gave them an innocence again, right? It gave them an innocence again. And so you have an entire world of people that see this, and in a, particularly in America, it is a very big deal. And one thing, too, um, that we have, to, we have to put in here is that really from 1964 until the Beatles kind of kind of break up in the 70s, okay? Which is not a very long time, right? They weren't together very long for all their accomplishments. You know, to be the group considered the greatest band in history, they didn't have the longevity of a Kiss or, you know, or even a Van Halen. I mean, it's 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 quite remarkable. But the Beatles even from 1964 through the 80s, let's say, they changed with their fans. Um, you know, it, it refers it to like Harry Potter books where I asked somebody one time, now I'm not a Harry Potter person, but I asked somebody one time why Harry Potter was so popular. And they said, well, you know, the main characters in the story age with the readers. And so I always felt like it was always catching up to my age. I didn't feel like I was reading a kid book. And I think that's a little bit here with the Beatles because the Beatles are so great at staying up to times with fashion, with their music. If you look at their first album versus Sgt. Pepper's, it's vastly, vastly different. Um, They're able to kind of lead the way for culture um, in so many ways, in their message, in their music, in their visuals, everything. Um, You know, Yellow Submarine, all that. It just kind of flows with the youth. And so they're mimicking the fans that love them. They're mirror, they, they mirror what their fans are, you know, wanting to see and wanting to wear and wanting to hear. And uh, that's very, very rare with bands. I mean, there are a few bands that I can think of in just my time that evolve like that. And, you know, we see bands that are popular that stay the same. I mean, U2 is a great example. U2, you know, but U2 has been U2 for the entire time. The Beatles really transformed their sound and it made generations flock to them because of, of that. They were very, very good at keeping up with the times. Um, and so as we see this evolve, their social attitudes and, and their, their outlook on, uh, you know, consumerism and all this other stuff begins to, um, change and begins to take hold of, of the generation of their fans. Um, the large fan base of the Beatles um, found their innocence gone with the death of John Lennon. John Lennon is officially gone. 
they're forced to no longer be children anymore. They've lost their youth. They're having to become adults um, at, a, at, a, at a pace that maybe they're not really ready for. From 63 to 80, they lost Kennedy. They lost JFK. They lost Martin Luther King. They've lost Elvis. And now in 1980, they've lost John Lennon. It's quite a load to lose all of your heroes in, in a short period of time. I mean, name me other generations that lost um, you know, their musical heroes um, and their political heroes in, in that short amount of time. It, it would be very hard-pressed to find other generations that really had impactful deaths like that. Um, and the boomer generation just simply lost all sense of their childhood because they lost the idea that even though the Beatles were maybe broken up, or they were broken up, but maybe the possibility that the Beatles would get back together again. I mean, you got to think about this. I mean, this is a generation that grew up with the Beatles. The Beatles kind of led the way on all things um, artistically and in pop culture, and they break up, and that's devastating people survive it because they think, hey, look, there's still an opportunity for the Beatles to get back together. And meanwhile, we still have music from Paul McCartney. We still have music from George Harrison. We still have John Lennon. And John Lennon is out here preaching about peace and consumerism, materialism, um, greed. It, you know, he's, he's preaching these things that, hey, this is not the way to live. This is not the way you want to live your life. We got to promote peace. We've got to promote all these things. And so one of the largest effects of John Lennon's death in my research is truly how his death almost causes a 180 with this generation, okay? Uh, this generation, again, was a generation that saw civil rights. It's a generation that saw their president die. It's a generation that's, that saw Elvis. It's a generation that saw a lot of these things. And now... They're going to have to come to grips with losing that voice of peace, anti-consumerism, anti-capitalism. One important um, historical thing happens after the death of John Lennon, which is the election of Ronald Reagan. Now, again, we're not here to discuss politics and all this, but I remember Ronald Reagan very well. I know other Generation Xers look fondly on that time. And again, we're not talking about the policies and all that when we look back, and that's not what this show does. But being under the Ronald Reagan administration um, was a completely different era from what we were used to. And it almost does a 180 against John's will here. Because John Lennon, again, anti-consumerism, materialism, and whatnot... Uh, give peace a chance and all this. After he dies, Ronald Reagan takes over and there's kind of this new dawn that happens in America. And it's consumerism. And it's everything that John Lennon said, this is wrong, right? And why does this happen? Because this generation, this boomer generation, has put their faith into people of peace. And people of peace have been taken away from them by violence. Now, subconsciously, that's kind of a big deal. It probably doesn't surface, but it's probably an inward thing. 
And as Ronald Reagan begins to take over and administration changes, consumerism just unloads. And all of a sudden, it's a very important thing to hold a nine-to-five job, to have a good-paying job, to make money, to spend money, to have a retirement plan, and to have debt. Capitalism begins to thrive under Reagan. People are told greed is good, and the dawn, the dawn of the credit card and the debt and the department stores and the malls are beginning to take a hold. And another great thing really happens, which is America's flooded with Japanese electronics. You're starting to see VCRs, you're starting to see TVs, you're starting to see camcorders. All of these things begin to make their appearances in department stores and they become high-ticket, very expensive items. VCRs were extremely expensive back then. And the only way to afford those things at JCPenney or at Richie's is to get a credit card. And so we see a huge amount of consumer debt. We see a huge amount of people that are... That are um, applying for credit cards in department stores so that they can get these high-ticket items. And the other thing that fuels all of this is four years after that, as Ronald Reagan's taken his second term, we're introduced to Robin Leach and his Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And that's a show where we were introduced to people like Donald Trump and Melissa Gilbert and Morgan, Morgan Fairchild and Linda Carter, Jeff Bridges who showed off their yachts, showed off their diamonds, showed off their homes and mansions, showed off their cars, showed off their furs, and everybody in America wanted to try to have that. It's the first time in America where keeping up with the Joneses really, really became a thing. In 87, Wall Street's released with the tagline, Greed is Good. And many people begin to buy into this. Fast money, get-rich schemes, there are plenty. But disposable income is something that a lot of people don't have and they take a lot of debt out. In other words, the culture that embraced John Lennon and his message decided they believed that they believed in it for so long that now that it was gone, it was time to change. They were no longer kids. They were no longer children anymore. They were adults because they'd gone through something horrific. All those things that they believed in were gone. And now they wanted something different. This didn't work. Let's try something else. And they wanted the fur coats and the Mercedes-Benz retirement plans. They wanted the excess funds to go out and enjoy things they wanted to do. They wanted to go see these new movies that were coming out. They wanted to buy the new music that was coming out. They simply just left John Lennon's message behind for a new frontier. And it was good. And so we see the evolution of why John Lennon's death was a triple ripple effect on the world and how it changed the future cultures. Listen, I want to thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed the topic. We'll be back next week with something new for you to listen to. We'll be exploring these topics again a little bit deeper than just what's on the surface. So I hope you guys tune in and have fun with it. We'll do, again, this was a little bit more serious episode. But we'll do some more fun episodes and we'll get into all that. It'll be a lot of fun. We'll get into MTV, New Coke, and all that. 
So please, um, please tune in. Please tell people. Please share. And please remember, we're on Podbeans, iTunes, and everywhere else podcasts are available. So I hope you enjoyed it. This is the 21 Years Podcast. I'll see you again. Take care.